Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. Um, before I get back into today's episode, uh, first I wanted to address that I've been on a little bit of a semi-unplanned hiatus. Um, it's been a bit since I released an episode. I do apologize for that. Um, as I have mentioned many times on this podcast, because it always seems to become a scheduling issue, I'm a full-time college student and I just finished like a major um, design project I was working on. So my schedule was crazy, crazy for a while there, but it is, things are lightening up now. Hopefully I'll be back to a more normal release schedule. Um, and sort of related to that, um, I did once again want to reaffirm my support for the SAG after a strike. Um, I don't remember if it was before or after my last episode that the WGA strike actually ended as they reached an agreement with the studios, which is awesome. So excited for them. Um, but the influencer guidelines portion of that obviously came from SAG after us. So as long as they're still on strike, I'm going to be maintaining my sticking to the books, no direct promotion of the movies or anything like that. I do want to address also, um, I, that obviously means I'm not covering anything Battle of Longbirds and Snakes related for the time being. Um, but I am, I am going to cover the movie at some point. It depends on if the strike ends, if the studios give the actors a fair deal before the release of the movie, I will go on as planned covering it when it comes out. If not, I am going to hold off on releasing those episodes until the strike has ended. Um, So as we get to the release of the movie, just stay tuned stay in the loop on the strike in general because it is very important that we are all supporting it in whatever ways we can um and this is how i am choosing to be supportive of that effort um so yeah that's just kind of a heads up going forward but those episodes will be released eventually just maybe not right at the release of the movie if the strike is still ongoing at that time but let us all hope that it will not be that the amptp will finally give the actors a fair deal um, and that all that additional bargaining will go well for them. All of that being said, let's start today's episode. Today, I'm going to be doing a deep dive into the history of Panem, a full timeline breakdown since the formation of Panem, um, and just kind of details along the way. The reason I am doing this is because I wish that I had had just like a breakdown of the timeline when I was first reading these books when I was a kid, because it's, there's a lot going on. And especially now with Ballad, we have a lot of additional information. Um, So I'm just going to go through it and give it to you guys so that you have a reference. Or if you already know it, just have a good time listening to me talk about the country of Panem. before I jump into it, though, just to just to let you all know, the vocabulary I guess I'm going to be using in terms of years is BTT, which stands for before the Treaty of Treason, um, meaning everything that occurs before the Treaty of Treason was written, which we'll obviously get to, and then 
ADD, which is after the dark days. Um, some people I have seen using like after the Treaty of Treason. I just like after the dark days. It seems right, um, especially given that the Capitol is obsessed with making sure everyone remembers the dark days. Like that's kind of their whole thing. Um, so I don't know. That's just what I choose to use. But just so you know, so you're not confused when I keep saying before the Treaty of Treason, that's what that means. Now, let's hop into the timeline. Before we even get to Panem, we have North America. <laughs> we all know her. Um, and we all know probably that North America is what eventually ends up becoming Panem. And Panem is like centered in the United States, but it does expand a bit into like formerly Canada and Mexico. Um, and so it is like North American, not just the US, but it is very much centered in like what would have been the United States prior to the formation of Panem. But how did it actually come to be? Um, we do learn in the first novel that Panem basically came into existence because much of the earth was destroyed by climate change. Um, it's very real, um, as we know, this is very, the, the point of this series is to be placed in a future of our world. So it's not like the future in a fictional galaxy, it's the future of earth as Suzanne Collins imagined it for this series. So a lot of it is based in reality of the way that things are trending, um, which is very bleak. Every time I read that paragraph in the first book, which is funny because I just read it today because I'm in the middle of a reread because when am I not? Um, where it's like, and then everything got destroyed by droughts and famine and the seas rising up and enroaching on the land. And I'm like, wow it's a little too real. It was a little too real um, when it was written and it's even more real now. Um, and I can't think too hard about it because I will spiral. Um, but I'm not gonna go too far down that road because it will get very dark very quickly. So we're just gonna continue on. Um, but basically after the earth's resources started dwindling, a series of wars occurred um, between like, surviving people on earth, surviving countries, surviving leadership for said limited resources, um, escalating to the point of nuclear warfare. Um, once again, hopefully Suzanne was not predicting the future here, but also not looking so good sometimes. Um, anyway, then now that majority of the earth's population has been wiped out by either the climate factors or lack of resources or the ensuing wars. Um, Panem is formed. And Panem is formed sometime before 11, before the Treaty of Treason. We don't have an exact year for it. And the only reason we know it's before 11 is if you do the math of Tigris and Coriolanus were both born when Panem was already Panem, we know that for a fact. And Tigris is 21 years old and valid. Do the math back, 11. Because it's the 10 after the Dark Days to the 10th Hunger Games and then 11 before. Obviously, it was definitely formed like well before that, we can assume. 
um because i don't think they were born into like fresh panem it's probably been around for a while but that is the only like concrete we know it was before this year and panem is formed um basically to be it's a totalitarian government that consists of the capital ruling the 13 districts that surround them the districts provide resources the capital hypothetically provides protection and support for the district. Obviously, they're not really doing that so much, hence why there's a rebellion. Um, but that's the formation of Panem. And so now we have Panem as a country. Now we jump forward a little bit to three before the Treaty of Treason. And this is when the first rebellion begins because the rebellion lasts for three years. And District 13 is very much like leading and spearheading this rebellion. Um, because they are the weaponry district at that time. And obviously after the war, that responsibility gets shifted to District 2, but we'll get there. I'm jumping ahead. The point of this is to be chronological, so I'm going to stick to that. Um, but the first rebellion begins. And by two years before the Treaty of Treason, the rebel forces completely cut off food supplies to the capital, and they basically have them, like, trapped in the capital. Um, and war is happening. Um, that Wow, I'm so good at explaining things. War is happening. The rebellion is happening. The rebels are actually doing quite well. They have, like I said, the capital trapped. Then in like zero before the Treaty of Treason. So like all this kind of occurs within the same year. The rebels decide to invade the capital. Here's the thing though. And this is another thing. The official quote unquote map of Panem is very, is a very fuzzy concept because there's been like multiple claiming to be the official map and it kind of changes a little bit every single time. And some stuff they say in the books is not quite accurate to like what is on said map. So if you are Googling it, just like keep that in mind that it's it's a little a little questionable. Um, but one thing that we do know for a fact is that the capital is located in what we know today as the Rocky Mountains. Um, which means that the capital is like surrounded by the mountains. It's like a fortress. So the rebels try to invade the capital now that they have like control of it, but it doesn't go well because they're trying to traverse mountains and the capital has like barricaded themselves in, which is like their strategy for defending themselves. And it works for them because the rebels cannot break through their defenses and then they launch like airstrikes against them a lot of the rebels are dying and this is like more specifically the period referred to as the dark days it kind of encompasses the whole rebellion but it's specifically this time when the districts are being like killed off in waves because they are their like invasion of the capital is failing because of the mountains and because of the capital military defenses so at this point district 13 has nuclear weaponry and they are basically like coming to this agreement with the capital um which we learn about like as we get to Mockingjay we learn that this was like a deal that they made not like the capital wipe them off the face of the earth and the deal is basically that both sides will refrain from using their nuclear weaponry 
and the capital will claim that District 13 has been destroyed, but the people of 13 will actually be allowed to relocate underground and the war will end, the rebels will surrender. Because without District 13, they like can't sustain this war ever because they're like the leaders of it and also that's where the weapons are coming from. Um, so they agree, the people of District 13 move underground, which is where we find them 75 years later. And the capital like bombs the surface, spreads this propaganda that like District 13 was destroyed. And this is what will happen to your district if you rebel against us again. So the war ends, the capital's victorious. They, what's the word? They remain in control. Why did I just forget the word remain? Wow. Um, and this is when the Treaty of Treason is written, effectively bringing the Hunger Games into existence along with some other stuff that was in there. But the biggest one, especially for the plot of the books is the creation of the Hunger Games, which obviously we know a lot more surrounding that now that we have Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes where like Grass of Snow is involved and Casca Highbottom and Volumia Gall. But point of it all is that this is when the treaty was written and passed into existence and the Hunger Games became a thing. So in one after the dark days, so now we're moving past the Treaty of Treason into after the dark days or after the Treaty of Treason, that's when the first Hunger Games would be held. Now we jump forward to the 10th Hunger Games, which is, I will not be going into a lot of detail about because there's a whole book about it and hopefully you read it. Um, but this is the events of the Battle of Slumberton Snakes, obviously. This is the year that they decided that the capital should mentor, or the capital students should mentor the tributes. That was a one and done because of how terribly it went. Um, and Lucy Gray Baird wins, being the first victor from District 12 and the only victor until 40 years later when Hamish Abernathy rolls around, but we'll get there. Um, also, now that we're at the games, I have sprinkled in various like victors that we know of in the years that they won. So I'm just going to kind of mention those. Um, also, I do have a list of like all known victors at the end that we're going to go through, but we'll save that for the end because some of them don't have years, but the ones that do, they're in here. So 11 ADD is when Mags wins. Mags, we know as the other tribute from District 4, along with Finnick O'Dare in the 75th Hunger Games. She volunteers for Annie, and she was the winner of the 11th Games, which is actually one year after Lucy Gray Baird, which, yeah, I love Mags. Much to think about. Um, also, this does place, like, how old she actually is in the 75th Games, because she's obviously very, like, she was 16 when she won her games. Um, you can do the math. I'm too lazy, too, right now, but... <laughs> Point is, she was very old, which is why she was not really in a state to, like, do much. But she still volunteered for Annie. Love them. I need to, like, stop talking so fast. I'm, like, getting out of breath. But we're just trying to run down the list right now. Okay. Now we're at 20. We're jumping ahead again because we don't really know anything. Until 25 after the dark days. Which is, of course, the first quarter quell, which is, you know, every 25 years, there will be a, like, special twist in the games to quote, keep fresh the horrors for each new generation. So basically there will be one quarter quell for each generation so that they can remember how terrible everything is um, as if that's really necessary, but whatever. And it's also to be a reminder like specifically of the dark days. And so all the twists like tie back to that. Um, so for the first quarter quell, this is super, I think about this all the time. This is crazy. This is messed up. I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I'm not going to get into it right now. I probably did when we got to the part of the book where this is mentioned. I'm just guessing I talked about this, but um, 
But basically the twist for this first one is that each district is going to hold a vote where they will vote for the two tributes who will represent them. And it's like to remind them that it was the district's choice to divide the capital. They all have these weird, like, this is why we're doing this thing to them. So for this one, it was like to remind the districts that it was their choice to stand up against the capital. They have to choose who their tributes are, which like, I just imagine your district voting for you to go to the Hunger Games anyway. And then if, and then if they win, the district still like gets credit for, they get all the like food and rewards and stuff. And it's just, anyway, I, yeah, obviously it's messed up. I don't need to sit here and say that. So let's just move on. Let's just move on. It's really dark. Um, 38 after the dark days, Porter Millicent Tripp wins the 38th Hunger Games, which if you don't know who that is, um, she, I'm just gonna tell y'all to Google Capital Couture, and it was basically this website launched to, like, be, like, almost this, like, in-universe thing. I don't know. Just, just look it up. Um, the website itself kind of doesn't exist anymore. I think someone tried to like recreate it on like Tumblr or something, but it kind of went away. Um, but it was basically just like a promotional thing. And they did these like victory tour posters for some of the other like victors. Like one of them was Mags. That's why we know she won the 11th games. But one of them was this person named Porter Mills and Tripp. Um, just look those up. The posters were very cool. Um, 45 after the dark days. There's this big period here where we don't know anything except a few miscellaneous victors, but 45 is the year where Chaff won, who you might remember as the male tribute from District 11 in the 75th Games. It's him and Cedar. He's friends with Hamish. They drink together, drinking buddies. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's move on before I start talking about Hamish. Oh, no, we won't actually because we're at 50, which is the second quarter quell. Um, also note, by this time, Coriolanus Snow is president. We don't know the exact year where he became president, but we do know from like accounts of Hamish's games that he was the one announcing this quarter file, which means he was president. And, but we don't know exactly when he became president, but we do know it's by this time. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, this is the second quarter quell, and the rule for this one is that twice as many tributes will be reaped because it's a reminder that two district citizens died for every capital citizen. Okay. Um, obviously, Hamish Abernathy wins this year. Uh, why did I write this down? Now I'm sad. Sorry, I wrote down in my notes for this within this year. Hamish Abernathy wins two weeks later, his family and girlfriend are killed. Like, I knew, obviously, I never forget, but like, why did I write that down? Now I have to think about it. But yeah, they are killed because they consider the way he won to be rebellious. Okay. Also in the games this year was Maisie Lee Donner, who is Madge Undersea's aunt, who gave her the Mockingjay pin that she gives to Katniss in the books. Um, and her and Hamish had this, like, alliance. Anyway, I'm not going to give a play-by-play of Hamish's entire games because we don't have time. Because the, I actually, we have a limited amount of information of them from the book, but it's, I have written the entirety of them in my head. So we would be here all day. Moving ahead, we have a few more random victors. 62 is the year where Enobario wins. 63 is the year where Gloss wins. And 64 is the year where Cashmere wins. 
And Obaria, of course, is the tribute from District 2 who like filed her teeth into fangs and she actually survives till the end of the series and she's there when they vote on the symbolic Hunger Games and she votes yes and everyone's like, why are you even here? Um, and then Kashmir and Gloss are the two siblings from District 1 who are also in the 75th games and it's mentioned that they like won back-to-back games. Um, yeah. 65, Finnick O'Dare wins um, at age 14, youngest ever. 67 is Augustus Braun, who's another one of the Capital Couture people. He's fascinating. Once again, you just have to look this up in these posters. It's crazy. Um, 70 is, well, one thing is this is the year that Katniss and Gail's fathers are killed in a mining explosion. No, it isn't. That's such a lie. I definitely put this under the wrong year because I just did the math really quickly in my head and it didn't line up because it... In 74, she's 16, and her father died when she was 11, which would be five years earlier, which would not be 70. Um, so her father actually died in 69 AD. I'm trying to do this math because it's just because I was just rereading the beginning of the first book, and it's like she, because her birthday's on May 8th, we know, and I'm trying to do the math for like how long she had to wait in between her father dying and when she could take the tessery. But anyway. It was probably early, oh my god, now I'm doing convoluted math in my head. I should have, I thought I figured this out before it was all down, but I was stupid and wrote this under 70, which is in no way accurate. Um, Okay, July of, I should be like writing this down. July of 74, she's, (laughs) she's 16. She turned 16 in May of 74. So to go back to when she was 11. That would be five years, which would be May. She turned 11 in May of 69. Yeah, because then she turned 12 in May of 70, which is when she could take the tessery. So it was like right before that, that she was like the whole thing with the bread happened. So it would have been 69. Okay. Wow. I re- Sorry for giving you all a look into my brain as I tried to break down that whole process. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wrote it down wrong. Now on to 70. 70s year when Annie wins the 70th games with her mentor Finnick O'Dare, and then they fall in love and they're so cute. Uh <laughs> 71 is the year Joanna wins. She's 17 years old at the time. And then 74, the first novel. I will not be recounting every event of this year because, like, hello. Um but this is when the first book happens, the 74th Games, Katniss and Peter are reaped, they win, blah, blah, everything that happens there. And then 75 starts off pretty much with the Victory Tour, which we know is in 75 because the Victory Tour happens six months after the end of the games. The reaping is in July. By the time the games end, it'll be like, depending on the year, August or close to August. Six months later will be winter of the next year and this is also around when the capital like really cracks down on district 12 sending in additional peacekeepers and doing more like public executions and like this is when gail gets whipped and stuff like that um then the third quarter quell is announced as a reminder that not even the strongest can overcome the power of the capital the tributes will be pulled from the existing pool of victors which we know in the movie was like for sure, I mean, it was a deleted scene, but it is implied in existing scenes that 
this was a switch that like Plutarch switched out the envelope so we could get the victors into the arena so he could carry out his plan. But in the book, it's actually more like he kind of tipped off Katniss because he thought she would be a mentor with the whole thing with like the watch at Snow's mansion. Um, and then it turned out that she was a tribute. So, but it is unclear. It's it's explicit in the movie that like he switched it, but in the book, he didn't seem to know that the victors were going to be going back in. And so it might have been like a snow thing where he switched it. But anyway. Um, and sometime before this, this kind of rebel plot had been formed to rescue Katniss from the arena and deliver her to District 13 to be the Mockingjay, which involved like victors from various districts. Um, I do actually seriously need the details on that, on like at what point Hamish became involved specifically, because obviously, because I am obviously thinking about Hamish at all times in all situations. So specifically, I need to know about him. But also, I just want to know all about this in general. Like, because obviously, communication from the districts is, like, seriously suppressed to the point where it's basically impossible. Um, I just am curious. Because the victors get more opportunity to, like, converse with each other. But then, like, how did Plutarch involve? Anyway. I just would like answers. I just would like to know more. But I also think it's important that we don't know because Katniss doesn't know herself. Um... And then the games end with Katniss destroying the arena. It's like a rebellion gets officially at this point. Um, 76, after the dark days, the rebels invade the capital. The capital surrenders. Katniss assassinates Coin and then goes home to 12. So this is like the events of Mockingjay and like the war span 75 and 76 ADD. Um, and then sometime like within 76, 77, is when Paler gets elected president. Um, I I love her anyway, that's beside the point. And the Treaty of Treason is like officially repealed, getting rid of the Hunger Games and everything else that was contained within it. Um, and Panem becomes a democracy. 15 years after the end of the war in 91 ADD, this is when Katniss and Peta's first child, their daughter is born. Uh, we know this because it said 15 years was how long it took for them to have a kid in the epilogue. Um, and then five years later, their son is born in 96 ADD. Beyond that, who's to say? Who is to say? Now I'm going to give my breakdown of all the victors by district. I had a lot of fun making this list. I don't know why. I just thought the breakdown was interesting, especially with like what we know. Because there are some districts where we really don't know anything about any of their victors besides for like maybe a name. So District 1, Augustus Braun, who's the guy I mentioned from like the posters, whatever they used to call him, like the Cavalier career. So I feel like that kind of tells you all you need to know about him. Also, if you look at the picture, it's like, yeah, we know what kind of person he was. Um, and then Cashmere and Gloss, the siblings. I should have just done all the tributes that we know from each district. No, I didn't need to do that. I already was doing too much here. Um, district two, we have Brutuson and Obaria. Obviously, everyone from the 75th Games was a victor. Um, not too much to say about them, other than like, and Obaria is obviously noteworthy because she is one of the very, very few victors to survive to the end of the war. Oh, the last one from district two. This is very interesting. So, um, Commander Lime is the commander in District 2 that Katniss, like, that the rebels work with in the, the parts where they're in District 2. 
but she's actually a victor of the games um who like survived after the second or the third quarter fall when the capital kind of like tried to kill off all the remaining victors that they could get to and or take them prisoner in the capital which was like annie and pita um and joanna and, and obaria dubiously a prisoner um but anyway but she survived and became like a military commander of the rebellion industry too but horrendous news she definitely dies during the war and which is sad but we know that she does because when they vote on the symbolic hunger games she is not there um and all the surviving victors are there Anyway, I do think about that a lot and it doesn't really get brought up very much because I think a lot of people forget that she was a victor, but she was. And so she did die at some point after like all the stuff in two, which sucks. Also, I think it would have been interesting to have her at that vote, but it's okay. They needed there to be an odd number of people at that vote. So it's fine. God, imagine if that vote had tied. Be okay. If you think about it, let's, okay, oh my god, I can't believe I'm about to talk about this stupid symbolic dreams vote scene again. But, like, look at it like this. BD, Joanna, Peta. no, I just lied and said the wrong name. BD, Annie, Peta. oh my goodness, I'm off my game today. I keep saying just random stuff. Um, all voted no, and then Joanna and Avaria, Katniss, Hamish, all vote yes. But if Lime had been there, she could have voted no and tied it. Or she could have voted yes. I don't know. I've never given much thought to how she would have voted. Um, I can kind of, I don't know. I feel like she would have voted no if I had to take a guess. But that would have been crazy if it tied anyway. Like what would, would Coin have just been like, I'm the tiebreaker? I don't know. We can't, we cannot go down this road. I cannot keep talking about this scene. Um, anyway, District 3, uh, we have Wyrus and BD. You you know them, you love them. Um, Wyrus obviously dies in the quarter well, and BD is alive to the end. Also, he won his first games by electrocuting tributes, which is exactly what he tried to do in the second games. Um, District 4, we have Mags, Finnick, and Annie. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about them that I haven't already said. I adore all three of them. District 5 is where Porter Mills and Tripp, who I mentioned earlier, is from. That's all. District 6, we have the two Morphlings, whose names, as we know them to be, are male Morphling and female Morphling. I do wish they had names, but alas. But they're from District 6. Yep, that's, that's about it. <laughs> They're both in the quarter quell, obviously they both die. District seven is Blight and Joanna. Joanna, obviously, we know very well. Um, Blight was her district partner in the quarter quell who dies. Um, he hits the force field during like the blood rain, and she that's basically all we know about him. District eight, we have Wolf and Cecilia, who literally just exist to be the more tributes in the quarter quell. Um we don't know a ton about them, but they were from District 8. And then 9 and 10, I've got nothing. <laughs> Sorry. District 11, Cedar and Chaff. Um, once again, the tributes in the quarter quell. Chaff was what I mentioned earlier. Cedar, we don't have an exact year for, um, but they're both District 11. 
And then District 12, we now know all four tributes. I was once again going crazy when I was reading the beginning of the first book earlier today. And it was like, um, they read out the list of tributes from District 12 and only one is still alive and it's Hamish and there's only ever been two. And they, and I just like, I know that Ballad was not planned out when she first wrote the like original books, but also like, she left herself so open to do that by being like only one tribute is still alive and not giving like a name or any information about the first one sorry i was about to start talking about things that have nothing to do with the timeline of panem and have a lot to do with hamid abernathy actually shockingly enough um but anyway the four district 12 victors now that we know our lucy gray baird 10th hunger games we all know her Hamish Abernathy in the quarter quell, and then Katniss and Peeta in the 74th and sort of kind of the 75th games because there's not really, those games never really came to a conclusion. You know what I'll just say out of time? The thing that I was thinking about is how like Lucy Gray, obviously, depending on what you think about the end of Ballad, either like ran off into the woods, went to District 13 or died, whatever your theory is. Um, and so there was not a victor around to be Hamish's mentor, which begs the question of like, because all the districts have their like escort, which is what like Effie Trinket is. And there was like a different woman who did it during Hamish's games, um, who like isn't a mentor really, but like does some of that stuff. Like she gets them where they need to go. And also like when they're training for their interviews and like prepping, she does get a session with like Katniss and Peeta. So like, that's kind of their job. But like, I don't know. Because obviously after the 10th games, they would never do the like, let's have someone from the Capitol mentor someone, especially now that Snow was president by this time. Like, absolutely not. Um, and I guess in theory, they could bring in a victor from like a different district that has a lot to mentor them. But that doesn't seem in line with like how the Capitol functions. So I think most likely they just didn't like Hamish just didn't have a mentor, which also helps add to like, we know that there obviously were not a lot of victors from District 12. I mean, there were literally only four throughout history. Um, but like, they already are at a disadvantage. And so not having a mentor puts them at a greater disadvantage because like, how are they going to get sponsors? Is there a escort going to do that? Who knows? But that's my thought. I think they just didn't have a mentor. They just had their like escort person. And Hamish was just built different. So he figured it out and won anyway. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think about it a lot. But anyway, those are our four District 12 victors. Um, and those are all our victors. Wow, we really did a speed run of this timeline, actually. I feel like I was talking so fast, um, but I feel like I just kind of do that anyway. <laughs> but yeah, this is my unofficial official timeline of the history of Panem um, with some dates and some just kind of vague this happened during this time things um because oh, it's there's a lot going on and not a lot of it is placed concretely in a specific year um but yeah as for my next episode i have hang on gotta pull up the schedule um assuming all goes well and I can talk about Ballad when it comes out um and if I can't I'm going to continue doing book-centric episodes past the release of the movie until I can talk about it just because like I like doing this podcast I want to keep it going um and the plan was always to end it with Ballad so 
which makes me sad to think about because I don't want it to end, but there's only so much I can say. <laughs> I repeat myself a lot here. Um, but the plan, like I said, if all goes well, is to do like literally the day before ballad that Thursday to do my like final thoughts before the movie, just like expectations, thoughts, stuff like that. And like any questions people have, and then to do probably two, possibly three episodes about it afterwards. Um, but that leaves me with one more episode in between now and then. Um, and I would love to just talk about whatever y'all want me to talk about. So this is me asking for you guys, if you have a topic that I haven't talked about that you want me to talk about, if you have a question, if you have anything that you want me to talk in more detail about, or something that I brought up in the past that you'd like to hear about again, literally anything you want. Um, although try to keep it, you know, like I said, contained to the books just because of that's what I'm willing to talk about right now. Um, but that's kind of the limit. I would love for you guys to send those in. Um, my DMs are open on all my social media. That's TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I also have an email address that is linked in the episode description. It's talesofpanam at gmail.com. And that's a great way to reach me. I believe I also have like a contact spot in my like link tree. I'm very reachable. You can find me. Or I also, I think I have the like Q&A feature on TikTok. You can just comment on my TikToks, reply to my tweets, literally anywhere to send me questions or topics. Um, and I'm going to try to talk about all of those in the next episode, as well as just kind of whatever other stuff comes up that I feel like talking about that week. Um, so it's just going to be a very rambly, fun little episode. So yeah, that is the plan going forward. Thank you for joining me this week on Tales of Panam. As a reminder, I am bi-weekly until November, so the next episode will be out in two weeks. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanam at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or a rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back in two weeks.